Yeah, that looks a bit. Yeah, okay. Shoulder. Yeah, for me, it's okay. I'll blend in. So, um, what you want to do is grab the mic. You want to be about a fist away. I find should be good. Yeah, it should be okay. And just kind of uh, instead of having it direct, just give it a little tilt. Don't overthink it. Yeah, the reason for that it helps with the P's. If you're like this, the they start to spit. You sound. You hear this like overmodulation. Yeah. So just like that, a little bit. Um, I'll I'll adjust you throughout as we're moving. Which again, podcasts aren't meant to be perfect, anyways. Yeah. Um, but you yeah you sound okay. It's not covering. Is it covering her face? Lynn's face. No. Nope. Okay. Um, and then how do you want me to introduce you as owner of of like uh, you've been here how many years? Owner of Sumali. 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 Right. So I don't the thing mess about that, that is a short U and a long E. Okay. Sumali. Yeah, I see. I'm a little dyslexic, so yeah. I see things in my head differently. Well, if yeah, it's difficult. A lot of people call it Sumali, which is yeah. wrong. Yeah, Suma- Sumali. Sumali. Okay. Uh, and do do you want me to introduce you as like the owner, the founder of Sumali founder, and pardon? Founder, I suppose. Founder. And um, okay, I'll just from there. I'll just go with it. Everything else is just off the top of my head. Okay. So, am yep. I supposed to hear anything? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Perfect. Yeah. Can you hear yourself? I can hear myself. I don't know if I'm hearing it through there or just. Yeah, yeah, you're hearing oh, it. All right. Okay, okay, you're good. Uh, my sound's okay. Is it loud enough? Yeah. Sometimes it's too loud. No, and it's I can, loud enough. Perfect. Okay. Um, I guess we're already recording, right? Yeah, I guess we yeah, are recording. still recording. Okay. Um, we. Uh, so, do you want me to introduce, like, uh, as do- Dr. Lynn Miller? You can do it. It's up okay. to you. Yeah. All right. That's good for the intro. Um, perfect. Okay, ready? Good. Okay, welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan, and today we have a lovely guest. This is Dr. Lynn Miller. She wrote this book. I, I actually did got the, the audio version. It's called Fighting for Success. Uh, there's no promo here. This was originally introduced to me by a friend, uh, Callum Platt, and then later by Mika Wassenaar. She was on a, a previous podcast, I think maybe, what, three or four episodes ago? Um, and Mika was uh, nice enough to, to lend me the book. Um, I read a few chapters, and then I moved on, and I jumped on the Amazon Audible which we'll leave links for that probably in the description and you guys can uh, um, head over there and purchase it. I do prefer the Amazon Audible, to be honest, just because it's, it's easier to get through. So without further ado, you know how we do it at Fruiting Body Podcast. We are a medicinal mushroom supplement company that has been coming for the past six months. We're actually going to get kickstarted, I think, maybe over the next month. Me and Hans and some people are doing some stuff. I'm flying up to Chiang Mai getting some interesting products that I can't reveal too much about right now. And let's get this podcast started. Okay, Lynn, doc, Dr. Lynn Miller, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you for having me. Um, I, uh, let's just, let's follow kind of our Fruiting Body podcast format and we're going to jump back to your childhood and we can run through that just so we can really understand who you were and, and, and building that character up to taking us to the point of owning and operating a Muay Thai gym here in Phuket, Thailand, and we're really going to dig deep behind the scenes. So this podcast is for anyone that wants to open up a gym, and you're going to learn a lot of life lessons and what you should do, what you should not do. And I think this is just great information for, it's almost like, let's say, an owner's gym guide of the red flags and 
maybe not how to fuck up as well yeah. along the way. Um, That's very easy to do. Yeah, so please yeah. introduce yourself to the audience and just let them know all about who you are. Okay, so uh, I uh, originate from South Wales. I was born in South Wales in a Welsh mining valley uh, called Newbridge, which um, is where a very famous boxer came from, Joe Calzoni. And that is about, uh, in my previous life, is about the extent of my connection with boxing. So, um, yeah, I was born uh, in a, uh, a small terraced house in a Welsh mining valley. And um, it's the sort of thing I, I have reflected on it uh, recently because mm. I knew that this was something that you might talk to me about. And um, some of the things that we kind of took for granted at that time, but it would be shocking if we lived... Uh, in a place like this now, uh, because uh, in the mining valleys, you're surrounded by what's called slag heaps. Mm. So your view out of the window is often up to a mountain, and on top of the mountain is a slag heap. And um, in the morning, uh, you're not woken by the the chanting of the monks um, or the call of the mosque. What you're woken by is the siren from the pit calling the workers to pit, to... uh, Calling the workers to the shift change. And this, is, what kind of type of mine? Mine is this? coal. Coal mine. Coal mine. Okay. Yeah. So Welsh valleys were very famous uh, for uh, for coal mining. Okay. And um, at, oh, at sorry, just one sec before we jump. We'll just we'll, c- we'll cut and we'll jump back in. I'm gonna fix the 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 arcade because it's doing a scrolling thing. Can you hear that? Yeah, but and the other thing is, this is the sound is really weird. Yeah, the sound. Can it, it's I mean, not? I'll probably get used to it, but yeah, it's not crisp, right? It's like it's not. It's like uh, muffled. Ec- muffled, yeah. Y- like, can this sound a bit muffled, or does that sound okay? I don't know. These headphones, those ones, can sound a bit weird. Yeah, um, it's, it's all right if it's. I fi- I feel as if my ears want to pop, like um. Oh, okay. Like on an aeroplane. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I don't. I usually. I can, I find I can it manage. I'm getting used to okay. it when I first. The other thing is, what about sipping water? How is that? Oh, j- on the podcast because again, the, it's it's not like uh, scripted. There's nothing yeah. really going on. I mean, just get comfortable. Like, don't don't worry. Like, uh, if you hey, just do that. Let uh, one sec. Yeah. Grab. Don't. We're not. This is not like you know. We're not on the clock here. Did you set it up so it won't scroll? Yeah, it's not going to scroll. Okay, that's better. Sorry, sometimes I, when that's clicking, and then it, I get, it's hard for me to pay attention. And that's happened a few times. I'm like, all right, we got to fix that. Once yeah, I try to I, go I know what <laughs> 30 minutes once, I'm like, all right, I can't take yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Good, just we're back. Yeah. Clap, do you clap or? I know I'm always clapping. Okay, so we're back. Sorry, we had to fix the arcade. It was driving me nuts. Um, so we're going back back to your childhood and growing up in South Wales uh, in a coal mine type of village. village, village yeah. Yes. yeah, and, and our village was near the bottom of the valley. And at the top of the valley, there was a place called Ebu Vale, uh, which had, uh, which had a, um, a tin works, a major steel tin works. So uh, the pollution in the river that ran through... Newbridge was it was again you know I said as I said the conditions that we lived in was quite different uh, what was allowed and what wasn't allowed and I remember walking to school and we'd cross the bridge over the river and the river was bright red from the from the, the tin mine the tin mines yeah. yeah well it wasn't a tin mine it was a uh, a steelworks and um, so they were I don't know what they were doing there but it was huge open furnaces and 
Uh, and so, was your so, fa family, were they working, was pretty much the entire village working in these mines? Was that supporting the, the economy? Not necessarily at that time, and certainly my father didn't. Both my grandfathers did, and, and accidents in the, in, in the pits, we used to call it, accidents in the pit uh, were very, very common, uh, particularly the time of my grandfather's time. Uh, safety did improve, and, and both grandfathers mm. suffered severe accidents in the pit. Uh, my father's father, uh, his back was broken by a big, I can't remember the technical term for it, it was a big chain, that mm. swung and broke his back. So he was about 36 at the time. Like a hoist almost. Or I'm not sure what it yeah. was, but something uh, in the pits and he broke his back and he spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair. And, and the other uh, grandfather also suffered some sort of chain accident where a chain came and uh, took him across the face. So he was scarred for life as well. So, so not so much in my parents' time, but certainly in my grandparents' time, a, a lot of people would have been working in the, mm -hmm. the mining village. What was it like growing up in, in this type of village? Uh, I'm going to, and, and I'm going to assume, but maybe I'm wrong, um, that especially in these towns, let's call them like oil towns. We have them in, in Canada. They're yeah. a little bit more rough around the edges. Yeah. Were these tin mining, these mining towns similar, like a bit more rough around the edges or was it a pleasant, you know, place to grow up in? At the time you didn't think about that. You just grew up in that area. But um, the, the whole of um, South Wales and uh, in particular where the valley led to, which was Newport, is still one of the most socioeconomic deprived areas of, of the whole of the UK is, is one of the top indices of social deprivation. So, um, as I say, at the time, you didn't think about it, you just got on with life. And um, But it was very... Uh, I mean, we, we literally lived in uh, terraced houses when... This, this was up to the age of, uh, that I was 17. We lived in terraced houses and... And you played in the street, so it was very, very community-based, and 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 in a way, it was it was nice. There was something. Yeah, there's the community behind yeah, it. There. I yeah, mean, I kind of grew up in a small yeah. town as well, and it was one of those. You know, after school, you're out till dark, and then you know you're getting back home, have dinner, and go to bed type of thing. Instead, yeah, you're exactly. always outside. You're yeah. never inside. Never inside. Yeah. Out in the woods, collecting leaves, collecting blackberries. Uh, mm. Collecting frog spawn, never ever inside playing netball, playing whatever, two balls up against the wall, whatever. It was, uh, it, it was nice. I, yeah, it was good. Did I'm very this, proud of my background. This this childhood, uh, especially growing up, you're 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 surrounded by hard workers. Um, like these people, they they're working hard. They're rolling up the sleeves, and yourself, kind of, I would I would maybe label as as a pioneer in your in your time to like blaze those trails for women that are going to be independent in business as well did that kind of really um uh, you know shape who you were today and and bring you down that path is that is that did that play an important role in that i think um the thing that played the most important role was the standard of education that we had and at, at that time, we still, in, in the UK, uh, um, I, I think it was abolished in about the early 1970s, but we, we still had the grammar school system, and uh, that probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but, but what it meant was that the, something like, um, I'm not quite sure of the exact figure, but at, at the age of 11, you took um, 
uh, a test. And something like the top 30% were creamed off and put into a, s- a separate school like called a, a grammar a, school. Um, a more um, a higher level of education higher, type higher of school. Higher level of education. Yeah. And, and although it was a, a state school, it was... Um, you know, when I reflect back on it, it really was something else. And, and there was a very high academic expectation. All the teachers, uh, they wore their academic gowns on a daily basis. And it was very strict. And it was, uh, you, you, had to, you had to wear exactly the, the right school uniform. And when you left the premises... The, the boys had to wear a cap and the girls had to wear a berry. And if you didn't wear it, you'll get detention. And, um, but, the, you know, it, it was... Uh, a lot of people now uh, believe that that system was wrong, which is why it was abolished in the um, 1970s. But what it did do, it did give working-class pl- people the chance to exceed in education, uh, which... Um, Probably they would not otherwise have done. Um, I actually moved from there when I was seventeen, so it meant that I finished my last year of education before. But it's I it's providing it. structure, and it's like that. Maybe if you didn't get that opportunity, you might not have at home, in, in that sense. Or was it still like you know? It's you almost like not in that sense like the army, but you know, you you, you your structure can then push over into your career into and, your and, life. And, yeah. and process. So yeah. I find like kids nowadays without that lack of structure, um, even simple things is making your bed in the yeah. morning. First thing. Yeah. These little things, these easy wins Yeah, that, that I find is starting to probably disappear. Yeah. But like, and, and perhaps I've never thought about it in that term, in those terms, but you know, every day you had homework and you had to do your homework. Otherwise, you were in trouble if you didn't do it. You either had to write lines or you had to, you'd be in detention uh, or whatever. And and also, you know, a lot of people in the school, they, they, they did come from more professional families. Um, uh, uh, what's the word? More privileged backgrounds, perhaps. Not not that my background. I'm not suggesting I was underprivileged in any way, mm-hmm. but but I certainly wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And um, so you, so you you know you were in that environment. You were in an environment where people wanted to succeed. And um, I, bear in mind that at that time, uh, only fourteen percent of people went to university. Uh, so it was quite an accomplishment to to go to university. And, and within that 14%, only 10% came from working-class families. And what percentage were females to males, too? That I can't answer, Hugh, at the moment. Uh, I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But um, uh, I, And I th- one of the good things, actually, about the way I was brought up, I was, never, I was never brought up with prejudice of any kind. And um, I certainly was never brought up to feel that in a... F- that in any way, as a female, I was disadvantaged. Any inequality. Yeah, and I, I, I never really thought about that. It was never never an issue for me. I was always I, I encouraged and supported by my parents, who who wanted the best for, for me and for my brothers as well. So, yeah, I was never... I, I, it was something that I never thought about until much later in life because I was brought up without that. And so... You, you went through this, this prep school and you made your transition. At 17, you're transitioning to university. Which no, no. At 17, I, my parents 
moved to another part of the UK. Okay. So, and at that time, I so I finished my last year of um, what we called what we called at the time secondary school. I finished my last year of secondary school uh, in in a, in a different school, but it was similar. It was uh, another grammar school, but it was in the Midlands as opposed to in South Wales. But I went back to Wales when I went to university. I went back to Wales. And at which point did you kind of take that decision that you want to go to a university and you want to pursue business as in you're not going down, the, let's say, the arts route or let's say the social sciences, but you, you did focus more primarily trying to go down this business route, which kind no, of... No, no, no. At university, I did psychology. I studied uh, psychology. For, but I mean, for the business aspect right, of so like the, tying the, that together, yeah. Right, so that came much later uh, because after, so I, I went to university, I did the degree in psychology, mm -hmm. I was awarded a scholarship, I did the PhD, and then I worked, went to work for a big, uh, huge, one of the biggest companies in the world, and I worked for them in research and development for five years. And then after that, that's when I started my first business. So I was about 30 at that time. And I started working as a research consultant to um, a, a, a wide variety of uh, businesses. But, but, but latterly, as, as time progressed, I worked mainly in public services. So I used to, work, I used to do research projects for the police, for the health service, for the fire service, and for uh, local government primarily. And at this point, it's your own consulting business? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I, I think it was Mark Zuckerberg, I was listening to him on a, a podcast maybe, and he was explaining that if he was to do it all over again, he wouldn't actually go to school for getting into any business administration, management, marketing, finance, whatever. Um, he, he was explaining that actually he would push it upon his children, go to school for the social sciences, especially something such as psychology, mm -hmm. because that will give you a huge competitive advantage. We all learn, once you get involved in business, it's the street sense. You're not going to learn from the school anyways. So you might as well take on a social science. Do you agree with that? Uh, not necessarily, but, but I... Not necessarily about I would only send my children to university to do social sciences, because... I uh, aspired for both my children to go to university for the experience, which I think is incredibly important. What you, what you learn there is far more than what you learn academically. But um, what, what, what I do agree with is that um, to be successful in business, it, in my opinion, um, you, ne you need to have a feel for that. You need to have a sense for that and you need to you need to have certain characteristics that you can't study so mm. um like I, i've never written a business plan in my life I, I i don't know what a business plan is i always see them as a little bit kind of like, well anybody can sit down and write what the, what they think is going to happen or what they'd like to happen but are you kind of taking that like invest now investigate later kind of live and drive you're driven more by your intuition than than so much on the analytical side and, and making decisions that way yes i i think i probably would say that but um, at, at, so far my intuition has proved to be quite good and uh, but bec because i've always had a feel somehow i've had a feel for for what would work and what would not work so um my 
I've never studied business as such. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, when I did my postgraduate um, diploma in digital marketing, there was, uh, had, as part of that, I had to write a marketing plan, a digital marketing plan, which I'd never written a marketing plan ever before in my life. That, and I've never written one since either. But um, that's the only time that you could say that there was a little bit of academia involved mm -hmm. behind the process of running the business. And on your side, where was this transition where now we'll get into the story about the Muay Thai gym and coming over here because initially you came over with uh, your daughter. At, uh, yeah. She was about age 17 at the yeah. time. Um, and let, let's fast track a little bit to the point of when did you first come to Thailand, not just for the business, but even for like your initial introduction to Thailand? I, I'm going to assume it could have been a vacation as well. Yeah, I first yeah. came to Thailand uh, in 1984. And at that time... I did a tour of the Far East. I came to, I went to Hong Kong. I went to Singapore. I went to Bangkok, and I went to Pattaya. Yes, and this is. A, I remember this in the book. Time. You're explaining yeah. it's your first taste, and you wanted. Yeah. Well, let's not give I, too much away, but yeah, I, I loved it. I, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. I remember going back, and of of those places that I visited, definitely Thailand was the one that stole my heart. Mm -hmm. I, I really, really, really loved it. Uh, yeah, so that was the first time I ever came to Asia. Have you seen a big change from, well, obviously, I mean, it's it's kind of a, uh, it's an obvious answer to this question, but um, what, or specifically, what changes did you see between when you first came until the time you came back to, you know, uh, start your business? And we'll get into the whole aspect of the timeshare and how that all came together. Okay, so... So, so remember when I came back, I came, well, I went to Bangkok and I came to Phuket. So it was a different place to the place that I originally this visited. 1984, you came to Phuket. No, 1984, yeah. I came to Pattaya. Correct. So when I came back in 1999, I came to Phuket. So, of course, I didn't see any change. Yeah. But, but at some point, I can't exactly remember when I went to Pattaya to because uh, we took some fighters to a Max Muay Thai show. I went to Pattaya, and, I mean, it was just unrecognizable. You couldn't, you couldn't begin to describe the difference, because it had become a city. And when I was there in 1984, it was a village. A village in the sense of, and I had a conversation with uh, Colin McKay. Are you familiar with him? He's on the island. He's been here 30 plus years as well. Yeah. And he was explaining, and I'm sure this is the, the point of this is as you're in Pattaya, probably those streets you are, were on at the time, there's water buffalo walking around, and now you have full on concrete, you know, Absolutely. jungle. Absolutely. Yeah, it was like very villagey. And the, um, the bars were like bamboo bars. And, um, I mean, I can't remember the details, except yeah. I, I do remember that in the center of these bars, they had. Uh, Muay Thai fights. That was that was my first introduction to it. Uh, but um, yeah, they were like little bamboo bars that you would maybe get in somewhere like Ko Chang, or it was very, very. I, I can't say there was water buffalo, but there certainly there was. It, I mean, there were big hotels. There it was sleepy still. It was yeah, still very. Yeah, the infrastructure yeah, was still yeah. very. So that the, the the change in that was absolutely enormous. As far as Phuket's concerned, well, like you, I've been here for. 12 years, but I've been coming here for 22 years now. What happens here is so gradual. Mm. The, the, thing, the thing with Pattaya, because it was such a long time before I visited the first time and I visited the second time, you could very clearly see the difference. But what happens when you're living in a place 
and it's gradually changing all the time. Well, it's, you don't notice you it. Don't notice. It's like the frog in boiling water, right? Yeah. yeah. But when you leave and come back, it's huge. Yeah, it's yeah. huge. I mean, I, I, even for yourself, probably when when you go back to the UK, you notice changes. But I, when you live here, it just yeah, again, it's it gradually. Just gradual, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, a couple of uh, in recent years have had to be in the. I was in the UK for longer periods of time, and um, it, on one occasion, I was away for six or seven months. And then when you come back, it's a. a Oh wow, that wasn't there, or that wasn't there. I mean, I, if anything, I personally feel I feel as if um, since COVID, the change is accelerating. Mm-hmm. It's it hasn't slowed down. Well, I think it's a kind of a reset going on here and restructuring. I feel like they they are trying to turn Phuket into more like like a luxury island now. It seems like they're trying to get rid of like that riffraff feel where people associate Patong with old men and yeah. ladies. That's the association yeah. if you yeah. think of that. And I feel like they're trying to clean that up they, a little gradually, bit. They're uh, gradually, yeah, they're gradually moving towards yeah. that objective. Yeah. Okay, let's jump ahead. And, and this is, again, for anyone that is interested in opening a gym here, I think you're going to learn a lot of uh, life lessons and, again, what to do right, what not, you know, what not to do as well. But, again, check out the, well, if you want to, they can purchase the book on, is it on Amazon as well? It's, it's on Amazon. Okay. We have some, some at Somali as yeah, well. You, and uh, if anyone, again, if we have a lot of international followers as well, you can find it on Amazon. But, again, you can get the Audible, which is makes life easy. Yeah, um, and now, you can also find that on Amazon. Yeah. We'll, we'll jump into the book. I think probably getting closer, I'll try to jump ahead to maybe chapter two, chapter three. Um, the first few chapters, you really explain how it came together and how um, you were able to decide to move to Thailand and stay in Thailand. But I want to jump ahead to your first experience going down to Naiharn and actually getting involved in a business of Muay Thai. Can you kind of just explain how that all came together and maybe some of the more important lessons you learned from that experience? Okay, so uh, when, when we first came to Thailand and we, we lived in, uh, for the extended period of time in um, 2009, we lived in Naihan. And um, at that time, I was um, a lot fitter than I am now. And I was quite keen to continue with my exercise regime. Not, not least because I had this like uh, lifelong goal to have a gap year and to spend uh the the year on the beach reading books right and uh the first thing was we came in rainy season so to walk down to the beach get everything set up get the book out and then it would rain so uh that that kind of plan fell by the wayside very early on and it's like oh what you know having a year off doing nothing sounds great Mm -hmm. but if you've been busy all your life it's like what am I going to do now so I I was keen to exercise and um, we met some uh, Muay Thai trainers in a bar in Naihan and we got talking to them and they said uh, this is what they did and uh, of course I by that time I I knew about Muay Thai because I'd met Declan and uh, uh, I knew about Muay Thai camps and yeah. such like. And uh, I said, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd really love to do that. And they said, well, come. And I said, oh, no, I'm far too old, far too old. And, and they encouraged me to go. And um, I trained at that gym uh, almost every day for a year. And What um, year, year? This is 2009? 2009, yeah, yeah. I trained almost every day for a year. And um, I it was... It was energizing it was liberating it was 
so much fun and I met so many people and, um, you know, bear, bearing in mind that prior to that I'd been uh, leading a life which was very much, uh, you know, home, bringing up the children, running, running the other business. And um, it, it was... Um, it marked a huge change in What did in your life, kids so. think of that when mom's, you know, she's everyday training for a year in Muay Thai? I mean, they must have saw, saw a drastic change maybe in, in your personality or character as well. So did, did you say my kids? Your kids. Well, well, my daughter was with me anyway, so, but, so I mean, she trained. They, you had to make that leap into training, and that's no joke. I trained Muay Thai. The, the most I got into is about four days a week. And it's grueling on the body. It is absolutely grueling. But yeah. bear in mind, I wasn't fight training. No, so but you're, you're, I'm assuming you're I, doing I, a little bit of... I lost a lot of weight. I felt confident. I felt good. And um, to be honest, I mean, my son was at university in the UK at the time. Um, I didn't really ask them what they thought. And my daughter kind of mm. was along with, with the journey. So, so I suppose she... It was gradual for her to... Uh, you know, there would have been a change in both of us. We were both changing we were both mm -hmm. uh developing and learning new things and um growing as people well men mentally too muay thai every day for a year is uh, it's dedication i mean there's a certain point where your body is exhausted i, I find muay thai in particular like it of all the exercise i do in terms of the the hit cardio yeah is the most in intense try if you do five rounds of pad work for three minutes and you haven't done it in like a month? I can't <laughs> I even, I'm on the ground do laying down. Yeah, I certainly couldn't do it now. Yeah, but um, anyway, uh, as a result of that, I um, ended up, uh, you know, getting talking to the owner and um, sitting down talking after training and, and this and that. And um, started. he started asking me my opinion and my advice on various aspects of the business so I used to offer that and um, then at one point um, he just asked me if I would consider if I would like to uh, become his business partner and invest in the gym mm -hmm. and uh, I think I think I said in the book I yep. mean at the time I thought oh wow this is you know because I'd always had this um, uh, bucket list ambition to live and work in Asia that ever since I came here um, when I when I was uh, very young I'd always had this ambition to live and work in Asia to at least la allow you to kind of not feel you're on a vacation like you're living the life of just yeah. wanted yeah to have that experience yeah. and um, I I mean many times over the years I, I looked at um, I used to have marketed society journals and British Psychological Society journals, and I used to look to see if I, oh, are there any jobs in Asia that are of interest? And, um, th th you know, the opportunity never arose. So this was like, wow, you know, this is going to give me something that I've, you know, I'm really, really interested in doing this. Uh, so I did. And um, it was naive in the extreme. It was extremely naive and um, because I hadn't been here long enough I didn't know the culture well enough I thought I knew the business but I didn't know the business and um, fortunately I did exercise some common sense and I didn't just blindly go into it I uh, went into it with a, a contract and the contract was um, that I would pay 50% of my investment in advance and that if I was unhappy during the first year, if at any point I was unhappy, uh, 
then I, the money would be returned to me. And um, in fairness, the money was returned to me. And, and that, that's one very positive but thing I, that um, I can say. I, I, I've listened to this part of the story, and I'll let you tell this, but did you have it on contract besides just the investment, your scope of work? Because um, with that, that part of this initial business, essentially the owner just wanted the investment and didn't want your input, correct? It's very difficult to really determine what his motives were. What is more, yeah. Yeah. I, I, personally, I, I, I think he had a plan. And um, I think he knew what he was doing. But I also think that he... Uh, and his main objective was to get the, inv the yes. investment. I think initially he did uh, and was open to... Uh, my input, my thoughts and advice. But um, then it became all too much for him. Yeah, he I, didn't want to do it. You were saying that you were giving the advice, but maybe things were moving too fast. For it's him. For him. Instead yeah. of just, okay, let's do one thing, then let's do the next. So when you approached him, were you trying to change like maybe 10 things at once instead of one at a time? I, I can't say that. Uh, that, that I, or let, let's, just, uh, let's go into the uh, specifics, I, 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 like yeah. in terms of um, it could be the marketing, it could be the branding, it could be the sales strategy. Specifically, could you talk about one aspect of the business that you tried to change for the better for him that probably was being done not in the right way? I, I think probably uh, one of the things, and I don't want to go into too many yeah. details about this, what, one of the things that I was quite interested in improving was customer service and customer safety. And uh, we had big differences of opinion regarding that. And, th and then when you have, I, I, I mean, I certainly never, ever tried to advise him about white eye and boxing I, I never ever went down that road yeah you're, you're doing the, the soft skills that was not within my scope or yeah. my ability but but it was about it, the thing that caused the day-to-day -day friction i think was about customer service and um about customer safety and um you know you you have to remember that he'd had the business for five years and um you know to a large extent he'd gone along just fine and not really had any big problem. And then to have somebody coming in and telling him, maybe we need to think about this, maybe we need to think about that. Um, he didn't want to do it. He, he just didn't want to, he didn't want to accept that. And you'll know yourself from having been here uh, for, for as long as I have on a long-term mm. basis, Thai people are very proud and, and they, they have their ways of doing things and and very few of them have been exposed to how people do them do things overseas so that they only really uh, it's like you're saying they're living in the moment more than trying yeah, to and, plan and, and, it's not planning too much for the future yeah it's like you know it's kind of um it, it, uh, being the boss of any company they're just kind of putting out the fires during the day instead of fixing the problems. Yeah. But uh, and, and there's a saying, you, you can't know what you don't know. And it, so if you've never experienced a, dif a different way of doing things, it's hard to comprehend that and take that on board because you've always got away with 
doing it the way you do it. So, so th that caused a lot of day-to-day um, -day friction, and it caused me to be concerned about what I was doing and so what I had invested in. Turn this phone off. It's we won't. The microphones would hear it, but we will. Oh. Usually, I'm pretty good at that. All right. See you later. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, I, I, I now I'm not sure if this was the same because um, you did jump to a, another Muay Thai business and then finally to your own at the end. Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, so this you've gone it from this one because there was you're using names now. Is this the business that was referring to Tay? Um, you used it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So and that I think that'll help connect it in the book if you yeah. listen to this podcast. I've and forgotten then read what I call yeah, exactly. now. Yeah. <laughs> so you're refer okay. So you're referring to Tay and yeah. and this business partner. And if I'm correct, um, specifically you're talking about the customer service. And I, you gave an example of a time where um, uh, one of the uh, fighters or students came in and they didn't have the, sh they bought the shame guards and they yeah. didn't have them that long and they wanted to return them because maybe they, maybe they found them cheaper someone else. But everyone needs to understand that when people come visit Thailand and especially when they're coming to live a Muay Thai lifestyle. No one is here for monetary mm. benefit as a fighter. Mm. You're, you're just not going to make a lot of money. Mm. They're here because they truly love the lifestyle. And they're on a shoestring budget most of the time. So when someone like that, uh, I, I don't know the I, name I'm going to disagree with you on that. but uh, I, I, yeah. well, Some people right. do have... have um, they're, they're not here to... Uh, to make big money. Okay, this but is my a point. lot of people do use it as a means of making money to enable them to stay in Thailand for longer. Yeah, to al to allow you to stay. Yeah. Yes. And back to the point was you're changing the customer service and this would be one example when someone wants it's simple wants to return shin pads and as we all know in Thailand if the money leaves your pocket it ain't coming back. Yes, but it doesn't have to be like that. And that's what something you yeah. were trying to change. Yeah, it doesn't and, have to be like that. And is that, that something that, and like, that, that, was, that a, was the friction? Yeah, and that was a small kind of example. That's why I'm using really. that but, from the book. But, yeah. but having come from um, a society where um, our standards of customer service, if you like, are quite different, it, it's actually quite embarrassing. That, so so that when you say the guy hadn't had them for long, it, it, it literally taken them... He hadn't taken them out of the wrapper. They were literally as, as they were when he bought them. And it's, it's really embarrassing to be put in the position where you're the messenger, yeah. where you're the one having to say, oh, no, sorry, no way, no way, you can't do that. No, that I, I didn't want to be put in that position because I thought it was, I thought it was mean-spirited and, and embarrassing. And um, so, so as I say, that was kind <coughs> of a simple example um, of the, the type of thing that I was required yep. to do. And um, like um, uh, there, were, there was a phase where um, if, if a person said they were going to fight and they were put on the fight poster and then they, they didn't fight, they were asked to pay 3,000 baht uh, to the promoter because he'd used their name to promote the show. And so they were asked to pay 3,000 baht. Uh, there, were, there were examples of people that, that couldn't fight because they were ill and they were genuinely ill. And yeah. I'd be the one that had have to be to go up to them and say, look, yeah, and these, uh, these are fighters that haven't to got push. any money, yeah. you know, and try to g extract from them 3,000 baht. Well, I didn't want to be the one to do that. When it was a genuine case, it wasn't fear or anything like that that had made them back out. So, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, it was uh, it was stuff like a lot of it. To be honest with you, it, it was daily. 
there was what, stuff going on daily. That was, was there difficult. kind of a like a, a uh, you know the needle in the haystack, or sorry, the the, the straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah. Where you said that. Wh- can Can you talk about that in detail? Of like, what was the last straw where you're like, okay, I need to part ways. I I, I talked about yeah. it in the book, which is uh, where. Um, a, it was the way an incident with a, a young female uh, yeah. guest was the way that that was dealt with was the straw that broke the camel's back. But it was the back was pretty broken already by that it stage. Was ready, ready to it go. was the final uh, thing, yeah. yeah, that um, made me say, right, that this is this is not the business that I mm-hmm. feel that I can put my name to. And especially things aren't changing when you're trying to change. Yeah, well, well, it was actually, it was get, getting worse yeah. because a very typical response to somebody who's trying to encourage you to change, if you don't want to change, is that you stonewall. So again, you become more and more resistant to change. So so actually things were getting worse, not better. Mm-hmm. So. Let's let's go uh, a little darker into the back, the back scenes, like really what's going on behind in a Muay Thai gym, especially, um, and let's begin from the children and them entering the gym and how they progress as fighters, as kids into trainers, and then into, into potentially going on to careers internationally or trainers internationally. And really what goes on behind the scenes of, as those kids are being pushed, how do they come to the gym originally? Why do they come to the gym? Especially as we were talking, almost they're acting on, uh, not as a foster home, but almost as a daycare initially. Mm. Now, my understanding of that is the kids are brought because maybe they could be orphans, their parents can't take care of them, or again, it's just a daycare for the kids. Now, is it kind of like a win-win in the sense that those kids are brought into the gym initially, um, and they're being taken care of by the gym. However, they're going to have to fight, they're going to have to clean, they get free education, they get free accommodation, they get food, but they need to go fight to make money back for the gym. And okay, this so can I just stop you yeah. here to, to, to make the distinction here? Mm. Uh, in that, um, so you're talking about traditional Thai gyms. Correct, right? yes. Yeah, you're not talking about no. Somali because we've no. never taken no, children. No, more in. traditional yeah. Thai gyms. Yeah. And because this is more, um, you know, evident, especially in places like Isan and whatnot. Yeah. So, uh, what's the question? The question <laughs> is more like, let's walk us through that that journey or that that career path of a Thai Muay Thai fighter, starting even at the age of four or five, and there where they can actually end up, and and maybe you can fill in the gaps along the way of typically what actually happens to those fighters. Do they keep moving on? Do they go? Do can do drugs get involved? Does no, alcohol I, I, get involved? I, I mean, it's impossible to answer that question mm. because each gym is different. And you will get some gyms that, that are very, very good gyms that uh, look after the children properly, that make sure that they're educated, uh, that make sure that they have good nourishment, uh, that take care of their emotional needs, that are aware of them. And then you get some gyms that, that are not like that at all. But So it's, it's impossible to mm-hmm. generalise about that because I think there are some very, very... Uh, uh, benevolent people within the world of Muay Thai, but but there are a lot who are not so benevolent, and and are only uh, ultimately looking out for their own uh, means. Uh, uh, the end result yeah. is is to 
for themselves. So it's 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 really impossible to answer that question because every gym will be different. Generally, the the kids that are starting at a young age are they coming? Um, I would assume the majority of them are coming from uh, less privileged families. Yeah, but I, I, do you occasionally get like privileged families bringing young kids in as well? I personally don't know. Of, okay, I, I don't know of that. And, and the, the one thing that I do know is that um, as Thailand um, develops, the um, number of children that are going into gyms is is getting diminishing. Diminishing, uh, yeah. And certainly um, somewhere like Phuket, which is one of the more affluent provinces in Thailand, uh, I would imagine that there are very few gyms operating on those traditional principles where they um, are kind of like substitute orphanages. Mm. I, I, I don't know any of Phuket that are still operating like that, but, but there will be others. And, and then it tends to be very regional as well. So there are a lot, lot of gyms in, still in Isan and in the south of Thailand, which is the, the, the poorest areas of Thailand. Like so Hat, Hat Yai and... Yeah, okay. yeah. And Songkla, Nakansit, Tamarat, places like that, that you'll still get the, the, the small local gyms. But um, in, uh, in a place like Phuket, Koh Samui, there would be very small, few gyms like that. Because that they're pushing the, the kids. People are not, not as poor mm-hmm. in those areas. When you first started in your, your first business and you were to look back at this, is there like a couple life lessons that you could share with anyone that is looking to open a gym that you would have done differently? Uh, right. Well, I think... Um, or I think the, the specifically for that situation, more um, partnering with someone, someone that's Thai yeah. and in a gym that, you know, specific to that situation that maybe uh, from the beginning or the end, the entrance or the exit strategy that maybe you would have done different to prepare yourself for that. I would tend to avoid that now. I, w- I would uh, I would not put myself in that position again. As in partnering or wh- what do you mean by that? As in a partnership. Okay. With, with, yeah. I, I mean, all uh, foreign business h- here have to have a Thai partner, Correct. as you know. But I, uh, I would not choose to go into a business where ostensibly my Thai partner was... Um, an equal decision maker, and I say ostensibly because actually in that business I I was the one that wasn't an equal decision maker. Mm-hmm. I I one of the lessons that um, I learned, and um, really I should have known this anyway <laughs> from many years of being in business. You have to you have to take control of your business. You have to be the one. Um, you have to be the decision maker. So you can't have too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a very, very long-standing adage that you know you never go into business with friends or family or. Yeah, it, it has to be very clear what everybody's role is, and yeah. um, you know who who's the one that ultimately makes the decision, and you ha- have to be very comfortable about that. And you have to remember that the culture here, and I'm not saying the culture is wrong, and uh, I'm not saying that that our culture, more westernized c- culture, is right. There are good and bad of each, but the culture is very different. Mm-hmm. The way people think are very different, and that's that's 
very, very difficult to reconcile. Can you give an example of how, like a a Western culture and Thai culture in business, whether it's a decision-making example, is different? Okay, yeah. So, um, right. One caveat that I'd like to say before I say anything is that my experience of business in Thailand has been within the Muay Thai fraternity. And so that brings with it a particular type of person, a particular type of person that has a particular level of education. So you have to to bear that in mind. So um, I always felt that... um, Soft skills, such as business acumen, such as knowledge about marketing, such as customer service, all of these things that that we in more developed economies are more familiar with, are not really valued. Mm. The things that are valued are more concrete. Uh, How much does it earn? Where's the money coming from? And there's, there's, they're very focused on the bottom line. Almost. Yeah, very uh, yeah. under. Uh, they undervalue uh, other skills mm. that are brought to the business. And you, many businesses in Thailand, and, and especially a place like Phuket that that gets so many tourists, they are successful because they are here. Mm-hmm. Right, it's easy. They're in a beautiful location, and people prior to COVID, people come in their hordes. They're in the right location. They're there, and people go to them. Right, and so with with that background, they kind of like they don't think, oh well, it could be better, or we we could grow this business if if we did A, or if we we did B, or put into place this marketing strategy, or or tied it up this end of the business we get more because they're already satisfied with what they have yeah it's, and, it's and set up and people are coming anyway yeah yeah and um so th- so they're not kind of thinking they're not necessarily thinking of growing the business do you think that mentality changed because of we call it we try to say the current situation just because uh youtube doesn't like the word right so that because of the current situation do you think certain I'm, and i'm assuming a lot of thai gyms closed down but do you think the ones that did survive and started to realize um how delicate their business can be if any pandemic were to occur um that maybe those soft skills such as marketing improve customer service you know building a brand building an image are probably even more important and more important than the hard skilled side meaning like having the right trainer because people are going to come to the gyms for the trainers and the fighters and they want to be a part of that and do these fighters fight at Lum, Lum, Lumpini. Mm. Um, on your Some side... Some people come for that. Yes. Some, and, yeah. But I, my point is you probably saw a lot of gyms close, correct? Yep. During the current situation. The ones that survived, what was the difference between the ones that failed and the ones that survived because of our current situation? Okay, so obviously I don't know the background to um, the the position of many of the gyms that survived. Um, I think um, what I do know 
is that um, many of them, it, for them, it will take years and years and years to pay off the debts that they've accrued. Um, and a, a, a lot of the uh, bigger Thai gyms that survived were able to survive because they owned the land, which made a big difference. To so they're not paying rent. Yeah, so yeah. To, to their ability to survive. Um, it's, it's very... I, I, th I think a lot, lot of the smaller gyms went, mm -hmm. but equally I think a lot of s other smaller gyms have come. They've uh, they've grown. They've come. They from just so they just yeah. don't. And and the thing is, in especially if you um, run the business informally, and if you have family that own the land, it's relatively cheap. If you if you're not a registered business and you don't uh, you don't pay tax, you don't pay VAT, you don't pay social security for the sale. It's relatively cheap. You don't actually if you own the land, you don't actually need much money. But that's just going to, as a foreigner. That's going to be near impossible. Oh, for a, it's yeah, impossible yeah. for a foreigner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How how is the community in Thailand of the different gyms? Um, is there hostility between, like, say, certain gyms on the island without naming names, or do you guys kind of all get along as a community? I think in the past there was a lot of hostility, and historically there were there was a lot of hostility, but probably much more than these days. Personally, I, I feel um, that the, the, the new situation has engendered uh, more cooperation. That's not a huge amount, but, but it's kind of like, oh, we're all in the same boat now. And um, I, 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 I've probably been more open myself to uh, communication and interaction with other gyms than perhaps I was in the past, mm -hmm. uh, because we've all had a really tough battle and we've just had to get through it and we've all been in exactly the same position so and maybe that can grow i i don't know I, but generally speaking the gyms are very very competitive yeah because I, I would assume there's if there's fights at like uh, let's say bangla stadium or you know patong boxing stadium whatever um and like you said you could have a fighter get sick but if you're working as a community, you could uh, ring up, you know, another gym and say, hey, my fighter's sick. We don't want to lose the match. Do you got a guy that can jump on short notice? But I'm sure if politics come into play and they just don't get along, even if they have the fighter, they might just say no. Now, is, it, do, does this ever occur where you need to ring up a gym to maybe fill in a spot and they help you out? That, that wouldn't be the, the job of the gym. That would be the job of the promoter to do that. Okay. and the But the promoter... I mean, they, are they, they making it clear that, hey, I'm calling up another gym to help this gym, but they're going to, know, do you know what I mean? Like, okay, they're, to be they're honest with you, I think generally between the ties, there's a lot more cooperation than there is between the Farangs. Okay. I think generally the ties are very, very uh, cooperative with one another, and they, and they will help. The trainers at all the gyms around here... They probably have their own internal community. Most of them, they do know each other. They hop from gym to mm. gym, correct? Um, I had an interesting question because I've seen it happen. Um, sir, I've seen gyms have an issue with, uh, let's say, a trainer. And usually, if that does occur, um, it's very difficult to release a single trainer. And in fact, you need to scrap, scrap them all. 
have have you faced this or is this is this a fair statement to make have you seen this happen well we actually had the reverse where uh when we started Somali and we had a problem with our head trainer, when he went, he took more or less, not all, not all of them, but he took all the trainers with him. That's so what I mean. We yeah. learned very early on that that it's not a, gr- a good idea to recruit a, a group of trainers. Gotcha. So, so we tend to recruit from... They all kind of come from different directions, which protects us a little bit from that. Because they're still going to create a brothership while they're there, but at least it's not they're coming, you know, as a like a they're flying together. Yeah. Um, I was reading in the book and I'm trying not to give too much away, but it's it's still fresh. Um, you were talking about how do we incentivize the trainers that we bring on not to leave and go to China and go mm. to Singapore because everyone needs to know the pay is obviously going to be much yeah. better. So what, what did you do specifically to keep your trainers so you weren't getting poached or they weren't jumping ship after you've invested so much time and energy in them? So, so with us, we, we just brought basic business employment principles which was uh the trainers have contracts the trainers um have holiday entitlement they have uh some leave uh we we pay expenses for them to go home twice a year we um give them paternity leave uh and the, the main thing, uh, which they like, is that if they if they say for one year, they get a one a, not one year's bonus, one month's bonus salary. And then that so, added up. So year two, it's two and yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. no, not oh, quite oh. like that. No, okay, well, no, okay, <laughs> no. I, I so see. So e- every year, but China, yeah, China's year, like this too. Yeah, yeah. If, oh, if, yeah. if they stay for a year, they, they get, get a, one month right. bonus salary. The salary still does not compare with if, if they went to work in China or they went to mm. work in Singapore. But a lot of um, Thai people don't want to do that. They, they, they like Thailand. They like Thailand, yeah, yes. They, they like being here. They like the lifestyle. We sent um, one. We had the opportunity for one to go to Korea at one stage, just for three months, something like that. And um, he was very, very unhappy there. He... he he didn't like it. Well, so it's the, li- the lifestyle is completely different, right? Yeah, and, and they, they often um, the, the gyms uh, overseas are set up in a completely different way. So, I mean, the Thai gyms, it's two hours training in the morning, two hours training in the afternoon. The rest of the day is spent relaxing, maybe doing private lessons if you're lucky. But, you know, the time is your own. Uh, whereas they, they're more likely to be working all day long, and uh, so the, the contracts of employment are quite different. Uh, they earn more, but they ha- they have to work a lot harder to uh, to get it. And and their, their families are in Thailand. Uh, ch- you know, their children are in Thailand. They like they like Thai food, and um, so it, many, even if they have the opportunity, don't want to go and work. And also the language barrier, right? This has got to be very Absolutely, difficult. Yeah. For yeah. I mean, let's be honest, most Thai trainers their their English level is quite limited to the sit, to the boxing um let's say the situational boxing yeah. English. Yeah. Outside of that, like left right, you know, uh maybe food yeah. numbers directions. Yeah. But outside of that, it's pretty much It's very uh, Yeah, it's very yeah. limited. Yeah. Um I I want to get to the story of how how you 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 started your gym, but this is before I forget this, I do want to ask that. Um let's talk about the um uh, gambling in uh, Muay Thai and 
walk us through what is happening because a lot of people won't understand this. I understand it enough, but obviously you're going to have more details on that. <laughs> I'm um, not an expert on no, the gambling. No, 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 but explaining to the people that like, okay, so let's go to the any, any boxing stadium and you have five rounds and letting people understand how the, the, the bets are going down, who's organizing them, um, but like within the stadium itself and the importance of rounds one and two as feeler rounds before these bets come in. Because I think a lot of people don't understand how that gambling works. Like if you're, if you have two tie fighters that are getting to the ring, and you know people have to gamble, th they're not going for a knockout in the first round. You need the gamblers to place their bets. You know the, the betters you know make those bets, and that usually doesn't kind of settle until is it round two or three before? Three, yeah. 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 Can you explain that a bit? I don't. I don't so think we get in trouble. So okay. So. I'm certainly not an expert in gambling, no, no. so uh, I can only tell you what, 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 you've little, seen. what little I know, yes. and, uh, which, which is that um, in, in general, a, a lot of the betting that goes on in local stadium is kind of like fun betting, right? And uh, there, there's not big money involved, it's uh, uh, whatever, 500 baht, 30 baht, well, perhaps 30 baht is a bit long, but small amounts of money, and, and it's, it's informal. The real, uh, when the betting gets big is uh, when it's a big fight between two evenly matched ties, mainly. And, and that's, that's what the gamblers are really looking for, is mm. an evenly matched fight, because then it's more exciting. And... Um, be and then you don't really know which way it's going to go. And, um, it, I mean, as, as far as I know, there'll be different... Uh, there'll be informal betting going mm -hmm. on. There'll be betting between the gyms going on. Uh, there, You know, in, in the Bangkok Stadium, there'll be people that are gambling a lot of money. And, it, you know, it might be the gym owner. It might be friends of the gym owner. Um yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I don't think there's a, there's one answer. No, you're, you're not question. in that, that world. Yeah, you see not, it, but yeah, you're not involved yeah, in it, right? Yeah. Because I think one of the things that um, you focused on a lot during this discussion and is that you're focusing on the fighting all the time. You're mm. talking about the fighting, uh, the gambling, the kids being brought into the juice. Muay Thai is much more than that. Mm. And it's not just about the fighting. And uh, the, actually, the... The people that come to train in Thailand, only a minority come to fight. The vast majority come because they enjoy the sport, they, uh, they want a training vacation, uh, they, uh, they want to try something new. And, uh, and I, you'll get certain gyms where there's a very high proportion of people that, that come specifically to fight. And then, then you'll get others where the actual proportion is actually quite small so and 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 and, and the bigger element is is definitely the element that doesn't come to fight so so don't when you're thinking about Muay Thai mm. gyms don't just think about it's they're fighting. coming kind of it's even a like a health and wellness type of retreat yeah, as well yeah yeah and that's growing yeah. the, the, yeah. the, the, the proportion of people that are coming uh, to do that is is mm -hmm. growing exponentially whereas I, the 
the fighter market is probably diminishing. Your gym in particular, uh, um, are you getting a lot of the like fighters coming to go to the bigger stadiums in Bangkok, or is it a mix of both? I, I mean, in the current situation, uh, there's there are a few foreign. You have some water. Sorry, no, what's the water? Okay. I'm trying to get there. Are in the current situation, there are relatively few foreign fighters around, and they also um, uh, most gyms are not looking to sponsor fighters during this period because um, they're, you know, they're a financial burden uh, because they're, they're, it's difficult because they, they, there are very few fights available. And um, so, so how are they going to earn money? How are they going to survive? So, mm. and, and obviously any responsible gym owner is not going to want to have to see people around them that are finding it difficult to survive. And um, so so currently the, the number of foreign fighters in Thailand is... is it's Drastically pretty, reducing. Pretty, yeah, yeah, very, very much reduced, yeah. And, and gyms have to adapt to that because we don't know how long it's going to take to... to grow that uh, that side of the business again so and 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 being adaptable is one of the most important skills in in any business well, is being able in, to adapt I think that's what what makes us human and yeah. why we're the number one species on yeah. the planet but some people <laughs> are not very good at it mm. some business owners are not very good at it and then they fall behind and then suddenly mm-hmm. they realize oh huh it's too, but it's changed. too late. It's too late. The do, you, do you see, when do you see things coming back to how they were before the situation we're in now? Do you see this taking a, another year, a couple years? I think it will happen quickly. I think um, once the restrictions um, uh, are lifted. There, there are, yeah, yeah, there are no more restrictions. They take yeah. restrictions away. I think it will happen quickly. I heard they were going to take away... If you don't have a vaccine, so currently if you don't have a vaccine and you come into Thailand, I believe there's a 10-day quarantine right now. Obviously, if you have the vaccine and you come into Thailand, uh, it's just you're doing your test and you wait at the hotel quick and you're good to go. But I heard they're going to take away, if you don't have the vaccine, you don't need to do the 10 days. I'm going to assume a lot of Muay Thai fighters, and I know a few in particular, such as Magnus Anderson and I'm not sure if you're aware of him. He used I to do, fight. Him, yeah. So Magnus, uh, oh, he's Swedish. He yeah. was on the podcast episode yeah. three or four. He took off. He's actually training at Tulum Muay Thai with the Ferals, Eddie and, and, and oh, yeah. um, uh, Eddie and Brooke yeah. in Mexico. Yeah. But he didn't have the, the vaccine, and that was one of his main concerns. And I'm going to have to assume you probably get a lot of fighters that are maybe ready to come here that are from Australia or the UK that might not have the vaccine, especially because mm, they're very dialed into their health and maybe they don't want it. Now, whether I'm not going to go down whether it's good or whether it's bad, but do you think that could be also a reason as to why you're not seeing a big push in fighters coming back? I honestly, I don't know the answer mm. to that question because I don't know... The st- statistics. We're I, just hearing I, it I, around. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't uh, know the answer to that question. Do you 
get um, seasonally uh, returning customers, maybe like a customer from Australia that comes every July and he does two months and then he goes home and he comes back the next July. Is this... Uh, it's a huge yeah. uh, section of our business, yeah. It's a huge, huge section. These I, I mean, I would have liked to put a figure on it, but, but a lot of our customers are returning customers. That's what I yeah. assumed as well, especially the ones I, I think um, I'm assuming that are living in the Southeast Asia area, whether it's, you know, you're in finance in Singapore, working in Hong Kong, you probably get these people, they come in and do two weeks, 10 days, whatever. We don't get many from Hong Kong at the moment. but No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I think there's still 21 days. I, see, I used to work no, in 14. China. 14. 14 yeah. China, I think, is 21. I, I don't know. Uh, I used to China live there, and, and uh, I haven't been back since I left, mm. but yeah, it's a bit of a... Bit of a nightmare. That's why you're not seeing many Chinese in these tour bus here yeah. because they can't. Yeah. I mean, they can't get back in. Yeah. Okay, so um, those are, I think those are more personal questions for me, and I really wanted to, to understand yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I really don't know the let, answer to let, that. Let's question. jump. Um, tell us the whole story of uh, Sumali, correct? Yeah. Sorry, it's Sorry. <laughs> dyslexia. I, I can, like, see words yeah, in my no, head and the pronunciation. Yeah. Okay. Um, walk us through that story from the beginning of how you initially came up with this um, idea to open your own gym, uh, what you did to grow it, and where is it at today? So, uh, okay, so I was at the previous gym, and uh, I decided that I needed to come out of that business, which I did. And um, at the time, I had no intention of opening another gym. And, um, but... Uh, both my daughter and I were here, and we'd uh, taken to when we originally joined the gym. We'd taken a, a, a fighter that we'd known for some time, and I'd helped quite a lot. We'd taken him to the gym, and uh, my previous business partner felt that um, it wouldn't be a good idea if that guy still stayed in the gym and worked as a trainer if he still was in contact with me, which was a strange. Uh, decision but that's that was his decision and um and and the, the fighter felt that because i'd helped him a lot that that wasn't uh, a tenable position for him so he came out of the gym as well so basically there were three of us uh suddenly without anything to do and um you know what what we're we going to do now what's the plan and um i just he said okay let's let's do it let's let's open a gym and um yeah, that's that's what we did, and uh, and it was audacious, uh, really. It was um, uh, quite um, an audacious decision to make because I, apart from the relatively brief period in the previous gym, I'd never had any experience of of owning a gym, running a gym. Opening a business in Thailand, yeah, where to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And um, so, and, and, and it was it was difficult. It, it wasn't, none of it was easy. And uh, throughout the whole 12 years, none of it's been easy. And uh, I, I was very lucky. Uh, the one uh, huge asset that I had, which most people don't have enough of, is that I had my daughter who very, very quickly became fluent in Thai. And um, so I, she helped me enormously uh, with setting up the business because I, I, at least I knew what was going on. How de detrimental was she to the success of the business and just kind of filling those gaps of maybe communication barriers? 
Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I did another podcast recently and, and the guy asked me, you know, what, what has been my greatest challenge? And I, I would say definitely the language has been my greatest challenge. And although I've um, made quite a bit of progress in the language, I, I'm still not articulate, I'm still not fluent, uh, whereas she was, and, and uh, she was crucial, really. And um, because she came here so young, she understood Thai culture uh, and, 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 and in the early days as well she had a lot lot, lot of Thai friends so she, she mixed with Thai people mo- most of the time you know younger Thai people so um, she understood Thai culture very well and she could pick up um, a lot of stuff a lot of vibes that were going on that I couldn't I didn't I understand. Being able to read between the lines. And not only that, just yeah. overhearing what people said. Mm. And um, th- it was, um, I remember in the, in the early days, in the previous gym, the, some of the trainers, and this happens very frequently, uh, some of the trainers were talking about the customers in Thai and, and laughing and having a bit of joke about them and things like that. And and she was able to pick that up. And she says, oh, do you realize what they're doing? And do you realize what they're saying? And uh, so that was another area of friction because I, I, I felt that that was inappropriate. And mm-hmm. so that was a change that, that um, wasn't very much appreciated. So she was crucial, really, mm-hmm. in um, assisting with setting up the business. And, and uh, frankly, I... Uh, I really don't think I could have done it without her. Yeah, I mean, and, and especially not only like having someone that's speaking Thai and, and helping with those, those, you know, bridging the gap on that communication, but someone you trust. trust yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Re- yeah. That, that was enormously important. Yeah. And, and I really uh, cannot understand any foreigner that um, has a business here that doesn't speak at least intermediate Thai. Yeah. I, I've, I, maybe just, Maybe I'm a control freak, but I have to understand what's going on in my business. I have to understand the the legal structure. I have to understand the, the finance. I have to understand what my accountant is doing. I have to understand, you know, I just have to understand every aspect of the business to feel comfortable with it. When you're, and when you're dealing with that stuff on the back end, um, finance, accounting, uh, legal documentation, is everything in Thai that needs to be translated for you to understand what's going on? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll give you an, an example of this, which, which is current now. So, so we uh, recently were awarded a hotel license, right, mm-hmm. for, for uh, our business. So that meant that um, when people came in to Thailand on the Sandbox program, they could come and stay with us. Like a, a SHA? Uh, we're, yeah, we're SHA okay. plus plus yes. now. But so, but, but behind that is a hotel license, right? So, so in order to, um, it's quite a rigorous process that you have to go through a process of inspection that you have to go through, and and, and that bit wasn't wasn't the problem. But what what is the issue now? Uh, because so we can accept guests from day one when they come into Phuket. Uh, but everything's in Thai. Uh, all the information about Sharplus is what it's called. Uh, all the information is in Thai. And 
uh, all the documents are in tow. And that that's really, really challenging and takes up a lot to of time. To make sure that you're yeah. following the right that process and rules and following the on. right rules and who, yeah. who's helping you on that side well i have uh because because my daughter now is in the uk so i have my sha plus manager okay but uh, i was talking to a thai person about this this morning actually because um what what they tend to do they they have these informal groups that um they use the line app so it'll be all the s thai sha plus managers you know using the line app and and they don't necessarily go to the person that they should ask, to the person in authority that they should ask. They, they ask between themselves, and, and some of them are not that well informed. And, and it's really difficult digging down to mm-hmm. what do you actually need to do. So f- to give you a concrete example, we had um, a young lady from um, Germany come in this week, and uh, she'd already delayed her trip because she... Uh, had uh, the virus, mm. and <laughs> yeah, no, I know it slips out because we're like, ah, how do I wear She'd this? She'd already delayed her yeah. trip, and um, so she, um, she she tested positive on February the eighteenth. Mm. She did ten days quarantine in her home country. She tested negative on February the twenty eighth. She tested negative again on March the fourth. She came to Phuket and she tested positive. So. Apparently, the rules are if that happens, she has to self-isolate in the hotel for 10 days. And digging down is to find out what she actually needed to do and what we actually needed for her not to have to isolate took two days of my time Mm -hmm. because I'm feeling sure that the information that I'm getting from these informal channels is not the correct information. And... um, and that's difficult, and it takes time. I've started to learn to read Thai, but I'm nowhere no, no. near what you would need to do to Very read difficult. these documents. Yeah. But that's also because, I mean, well, I've been here during the entire time. I haven't been back in four years, and you know how it's been throughout this process. Every day something changes. Oh, that's... That <laughs> that's the nightmare. <laughs> An absolute So nightmare. the rules yeah. are like, yeah. um, for example... Uh, so I, I don't have the vaccine, whatever, but I didn't know I could leave the island. And then I found out, okay, I can leave the island, um, but I need to, no problem. But mm. I got to get back into the island, I need to do an ATK test. Mm. So I went out to Krabi or Rally Beach and, okay, you just go to the pharmacy, give them a hundred baht. I was at nearby Aonang, mm. went over to Rally. Anyway, so went to the pharmacy at Aonang, um, got the ATK test and then paid the 100 baht and I need to do the test, give it back to them. They'll give me a document to get back into Phuket. But they just give you the box and go, okay, you go outside and do yeah. it. So I look at the box. And I'm like, I can just spit on this thing, do this, squirt, squirt it, and it's negative. Yeah. So I did it. I didn't want to jam this. Yeah. Thing. I knew I wasn't. I was fine. Yeah. So I did it. They won't even take the test back. Yeah. They're like, no, no, no. Give me your WhatsApp. Take picture. Yeah. I'm like, so I could have, and now I don't need the box. Yeah. I could take a picture from a week ago. You do it, you send the picture, you get the document. Then you drive back into Phuket, you cross the border, and I got all my documents ready to go. It's 7 at night on a Sunday, and I roll the window down, I'm with my Thai girlfriend, and then the police, you just roll it down, I'm about to show it, and they... Yeah. That, that's go. because people are... Uh, 
<laughs> Nothing. And it's exactly the problem, actually, that I was referring to, is that people, um, they're not following the rules. They're not. They, but they, you do they, need they, that document. You do. Yeah. But. Yeah. They, yeah. they are not. The, they're not following the rules. So that they, these informal challenges channels they're all taking shortcuts but sometimes that can be that can really if you don't do it properly like with this particular customer if i'd allowed her not to self-isolate without having the right documents if she'd then gone on to somewhere else and somebody was following the rules then she would have had problems so uh fortunately i did actually manage to find a document in english and i i now know what the procedure is well until tomorrow (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. But oh, the, I cannot tell you that how the yeah. extent and the systems. Uh, it, it's. I, I think um, in. Uh, when did they actually start the sandbox? In July. So Probably what July. Are we now? March. So in eight nine months, we've had at least four different back end systems to run this this program of. Um, your requirements, what you need, and yeah, it's, a ch- it's like a, a checklist. It's a, it's an absolute nightmare. I could, I could be uh, imagine owning a business here. I, I work online, so it's okay. Yeah. I don't have to deal with it. But running a business must have been taking at least an hour of your day. Did it change today? What changed? What do we have to do to yeah, adapt? Yeah, and then it changes it, and, and then it's changes a tie, it and uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's very very. Do you think it's we're kind of there now? Like we've we're near yeah, the end. It, yeah, we're near the end. Yeah. Um. Okay, so back to the to the running this business and opening it. Um, let's say I'm a foreigner and I want to open up a Muay Thai business. Could you walk us through the 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 steps right up from day one, opening a a company, getting land, uh, maybe even building the gym, right up to the point of opening the doors? Is there are you able to walk people through a fast track process? Yeah. And they have to read the book to find out. Okay. Because that is going to take okay. too long to go okay, through Okay, I got it. Okay, but, so... But there are... And it's not because I'm trying to persuade people to read No, because it might be a 45-minute conversation. Gonna, yeah, it's going to take too long. So that's However... A, that's the perfect sales pitch. Things, yeah. However, there are some things that I would say. Okay. Uh, which is... Number one, think about it very carefully. Number two, do the maths. Work out... Be very, very careful about um, just imagining. I, one of the big things with white eye gyms, and I get this time and time again. I hear this time and time again. Oh, that gym's really busy. Oh, they must be so profitable. And often they're not at all because they haven't actually quite worked out how, how to do it. And even if you know it's difficult, but... But if you get that formula wrong, you're going to be running a business where you're always going to be struggling. Because one of the things that I didn't uh, put in the book, um, maybe because I didn't think of it at the time, it's a subject for another book maybe, is, is the outgoings, especially as a foreigner. The, the, the things that you have to pay every month. Hidden costs that you would never think you about. You don't think about it. Can yeah. you give some examples? I'll just give you some examples yeah. which, are, which are easy ones to give. Which is, um, so you have to have health insurance, you have to have a business visa, and uh, you have to have a work permit. And in order to, do, to get the business visa and the work permit, if uh, you don't want to leave the country every three months, 
what you have to have four tithes per farang. Per farang, members of staff per farang. So you have to have them, and you have to have them registered for Social Security. You have to pay the Social Security every month for them. You have to pay your own personal tax every month. And you have to pay the person the actual um, amount that you have to uh, uh, declare on the work permit is 50,000 baht. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you have to pay the tax on that, whether you earn 50,000 baht or not. And 50,000 baht doesn't sound like a lot of per money. Per worker per month? Um, per foreign worker. Okay, per foreign worker gotcha. per month, right. Yeah. So that doesn't sound like a lot of money. But during the last few years, mm. that you know, with all the other costs of the business, uh, you're still having to pay the tax on that. Is it 20% or...? On the oh, no, it's quite low. I think okay. personal tax is uh, something like 7%. It's, okay. it's really, really quite low. And um, you have to be registered for VAT to, to get all these things. Uh, so... What about the cost for the registration? You're, you, are you paying lawyers that have to do that? Is, or are you able to do it on your own? It's very... It's to, it would be very difficult to do it you have to pay an, this is another cost every an agency month. or something. you have to pay it well you have to pay an accountant every month to yeah. to do all the stuff that you to submit all the documents that you have to submit to uh pay all the taxes to pay all the Thailand social security documents. and yeah oh god yeah <laughs> but to get the work permit and to get the business visa the business visa um Oh, it's just a, like a pile of documents like that, and uh, and in those documents are sign all the the business papers, yeah. all the proof that you paid the social security for how many, however months they want, the proof that you paid the VAT, that everything's paid out. You have to have a license to, like in our case, we have a license for the yoga, we have a license for the restaurant, we have a license for the waiter, we have a license to rent motorbikes, and I'm sure there's something else as well. That, um, so and you have to. Paying for all those licenses. All those licenses. Are they expensive? I mean, different. Obviously, different values, different licenses. But are they? The uh, license per se is not okay. expensive. I, I, I think they're about three thousand baht each. Okay. But uh, and there, there are like ridiculous uh, taxes, like the sign tax. And, what is uh, that? The sign tax is if you have a sign, any sign. Like, like to entrance to your gym. Yeah. Like like an advertisement yeah. promote. It's like a yeah. logo. Yeah, to, okay. Like uh, at the front of our gym, we've got four big, uh, yeah. like vinyls. We have to pay a tax for each one of those. So silly things that. But it's nothing. It's per month you're paying a tax, uh, or just it's, per year? It's annual. I think it costs us. Uh, our signed tax is about ten or twelve thousand. But that's. Uh, but there's. That's like, something you would never think about. You wouldn't think about. No. Yeah, and um, so. That's my biggest piece of advice is to sit down and work it out before you start what income are you going to need to mm. cover all, all of these costs and uh and how how are you going to do that what do you need so so for example in a muay thai gym especially one that doesn't have any accommodation what how many people do i need to get through the door every day to cover on average to cover all of these costs finding your break even yeah what's to break my break even, even. Yeah. yeah that's yeah that's without any salaries and, right and and how how am i going to do that uh in a country be, because you can't get loans 
can't get overdrafts at the bank. So you all the time have to be in credit. Yeah, you need to be very liquid here. Yeah. 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 So, um, and and the, the other thing, and, and this is something that people don't think about enough, is, um, so, if, so if you're young, how am I, in, in addition to all of that, how am I going to earn enough money to invest for that time in my life when I, either I can't or I no longer want to work? And that's a huge issue mm. uh, that not enough people think about. You know, What's going to happen when I'm 60? Is this business going to give me enough income to invest the money that I need to invest? So you're not just getting by. Like at yeah. least you can, you have, you're, you're well, looking forward to a retirement. Well, it's more than that because, you know, I, I don't know what the um, Canadian system is, but in the, uh, for a UK citizen, if you, uh, if you don't work in the UK, if you don't pay into the fund, then you don't get a state, or, or you get a very minimal state pension, mm-hmm. uh, which would be very difficult to live on. Even the maximum state pension, you wouldn't want to live on that. So you so you need to invest money and 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 am I going to have children and if I if I'm going to have children how do I how do I want to educate and educate I think them? that that's very important because yeah. if you come here to open a gym and you're going to have kids yeah I mean the BIS is a million baht a year yeah if you want to go to probably the cheapest I think it may even be more than, or maybe, maybe I'm not. thinking of the boarding side of things maybe with yeah. the boarding but even Kaohsiung Kiat is yeah. minimum twelve. The fifteen thousand US yeah. a year, which is, I mean, school's free in Canada. Yeah. So, if someone was coming to open a gym, and and they would probably come with the mentality of you know doing their budget or business plan on the Western from a Westernized perspective, mm. you, we we can pretty much um, probably get that number quite close. Would you give anyone like a percentage rule of thumb as a contingency, like whatever you think you're going to spend, add twenty percent? Do you know what I mean? Oh, I've never really thought I. Um, just, just to give them some breathing. Do, do room. you mean a contingency? Like, because for business expenses, do you meaning mean? like? Okay, I think the business is going to cost this much to open, and yeah. I've done all my math. But there's so much hidden stuff that you should. You're going to miss so much. You better add another twenty percent because I bet you missed this, 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 and this, and that yeah. could actually add another twenty on top of what you initially estimated. Yeah, it, uh, that the. The other um, thing that people don't think about is um, the maintenance. It's constantly. Ah, it's, it's like a revolving program of maintenance. The equipment, the buildings, the... It's never ending. The speaker, the, and the, the gym, the fan in the fridge, the whatever it is literally something's always leaking ending uh, almost every yeah. day oh i've had to go buy a new spray for the toilet or i've had to buy paint for every day money is going out to uh for these sundries that you you would never factor in and and then there's uh, oh, th- uh, there's so much i can't begin to there's the website hosting there's the payment yeah. for all the software that you need there's so much of these hidden costs that you yeah. You don't think about your system software. If you have a CRM, yeah. your accounting software, QuickBooks, yeah. whatever, you're paying yeah. monthly fees. Yeah, all these monthly yeah. fees. Yeah. What about if you're, when you're opening up the, let's say, I, I don't know if I'm going to call it the hardware, but like, let's say, the, I would assume the canvases are very expensive, right? Like, you're talking at least 30 
plus thousand baht, maybe more. Like the actual canvas in the ring. Actually, ours didn't cost. We just bought one, oh. and uh, it cost fifteen thousand. Fifteen. Okay, I yeah. heard somewhere like thirty. Or is there something specific that's you know wear and tear within a gym that's going to probably be the most expensive cost, and you need to repair every year or every two years that you should kind of be aware of of that cost. Uh, well, it wouldn't be the canvas okay. because our canvas we had. It's the only time. No, it's the second time we replaced it. Yeah, think about it. It's the second time. So maybe the canvas once every five years, perhaps more in a very uh, busy gym where you've got a lot, lot of fighters using it. Um, the gym infrastructure, the main, I suppose, the main expensive thing there would be the mats. Oh, the mats, like yeah. the, 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 so they're not yeah. slip, the non-slip mats. Yeah, and, and the, the one, the ones you, yeah, the ones you're clean. You need to clean yeah. so that people aren't getting staff yeah. infections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is constantly being. Yeah, uh, I think changed? we've done ours every uh, about every three years, every four years, something like that. But um, the the gym itself, I would, s the cost of maintaining that is not. It's not frighteningly high. Mm. Uh, that's not. Uh, that I, that's not a big. It's not going to break the budget. Yeah, it's not not a big concern. Mm. I'm trying to think of any major. What about like trainer turnover? It's like indirect costs in terms of like you've invested so much like mentally in these people that maybe it's not draining on the wallet, but it is on you. You know, uh, physically, emotionally, yeah. like mentally, having yeah. to deal with that. Is that a difficult aspect of the business? It's not so much now. Um, it, it, in the past, uh, I, mainly now, actually, we've kept our trainers for uh, quite a long time. I think we've got two that have been with us for about eight years, one that's been with us for about six years. Uh, so we tend to keep the trainers um, uh, now, in, you know, in the early days. I talk a lot about loyalty in the book and um, building up loyalty amongst your staff and um that that takes time Be because the thing I'd, I'd explain all of this in the book about how especially um uh people that have been brought up in white eye gyms they've got um uh loyalties to their pidong their older brothers and their yep. younger brothers and they uh it, it's very easy for them to be drawn away uh but but eventually if you keep them long enough they do build up loyalty to you as well so um and getting that balance right is difficult getting that balance and getting the authority over them that that you mm -hmm. need in order to run a tight ship is it takes time patience Energy and practice. Is there um, easier, easy upward mobility for a career growth of a starting trainer, or is there a ceiling? Yeah, that that because I'm, that's I have, a big problem. I um, have to imagine that even if a trainer starts at a young age, I'm let's say 18, 19, and that they're a trainer. I mean, eventually by forty, forty-five, that's a long time. Yeah. You can't keep being a trainer. You're going to burn out, I would assume. And like, and how can they plan for the next phase of their life 
it's a long question, I guess, but like, and typically what do they do after training? Cause again, you cannot train until you're 60. Do they go, do they open a gym? Do they go work a business? What typically happens? Well, I, I, I give you an example of a conversation that I had with a trainer the other day. I trying to encourage the trainers to, uh, be more skillful in building up their Instagram profiles. And, um, what I've explained to them is that, you know, I'm, I'm encouraging you to do this and I'm, I'm showing you th these are the techniques that you can use. I'm, I'm showing you this because this, this is important for our business, but it's also important for you because um, I, th I think our oldest trainer must be about 38, something like that. But, but our youngest one is maybe 25, something like that. And I, I, you know, I said to the 25-year-old, you're, you're, you're young and you've got many years ahead of you of working. And uh, if you can build your profile up and you can, you know, get people to find you on Instagram and, that, and they, they like your style and then, then they'll, they'll come and they'll come to train with you and they'll follow you. If in the future, um, you know, Somali's not here or whatever, uh, that then these people will follow you and go with you. And, and I said to him, I said, yeah, I, you know, you're, you're young, you're 25. How many years ahead of you do you think you've got to work? Mm. And he said, um, five. Oh, God. Said, really? He said, five. He said, yeah. I said, what are you going to do after five years? Gaban, which means uh, yeah, go, go home. home. Yeah. Go home. Gaban Tamsun, which means uh, to, to be a farmer. Yep. You're going to go home to be a farmer. And I'm like... So their ambition is is different mm. to ours, and and uh, a lot of them do want. He was he's from Isan. That's they want to be with their families. They want to be with people that um, that they have things in common with. So I was like gobsmacked, you know, that he came out with that answer. No ambition as we would. But are they coming here and they're saving and they're able to actually save? So when they go back home, they kind of have, you know, some sort of savings in the bank instead of just kind of going home broke? Before um, the recent episode, the recent last couple of years, um, a lot of our trainers were doing very well. And um, because uh, we get a lot of customers who purchase private lessons. So, so a lot of them, some of them were um, taking home like really good salaries mm -hmm. for um, for a Muay Thai trainer, oh, especially if they're getting privates. I mean, yeah, they, they were, yeah. yeah, and they were getting tons of them, and um, almost all of them had cars, and I was really proud of that. I, th you know, I felt very proud of that. But of course, they, uh, a lot of them, they lost the cars during the, the recent because uh, they couldn't make the payments, and they couldn't make the payments. So, so uh, th this guy that I'm talking about, if he does go home in five years, he he will go home more or less. Probably. Okay. He won't have a substantial amount of money. I, I was going to jump in. I always check with Hans. How are we on time? One thirty already. Oh, okay. So that's usually what we try to yeah. cut it. We well, I have one more question. We try to cut it off there. It's for the Google algorithm. Yeah. Or sorry, uh, YouTube algorithm. We love you, YouTube. I don't know if I say that enough. We rank better. But um, um, the last question I wanted to jump into, and this is kind of where I, I'll, I'll try to finish your book. I'll, well, the audio side, I think I'll pre-build maybe another week. I just try to get through it in the gym, and it's 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 for me, it's enjoyable. Again, it's actually a very good listen, especially if you're interested in the Muay Thai aspect and you've been in gyms before, you'll really connect to it. Or if you lived in Thailand, 
or if you want to come to Thailand. Um, the question is more about your experience working with Sanchai, and I don't think I need to go too deep into it. If you can just kind of reflect on that. That was, uh, I, I mean, I focused a lot on the challenges that today I focused on a lot on the challenges. Working with Sanchai was an absolute joy. I, ca I cannot tell you that that period was beyond exciting. It, it was it, it was amazing. It was truly a very, very uh, unique and exciting experience in my life. And uh, my experience of him, he, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. You know, he's humble. And um, he's obviously extremely talented. And he's fun. He's charming. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a short period. Uh, so it was about eight months to a year. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, but um, uh, yeah, I can't. I can't say more than that. Really, it was well, a very. He, he came to act as a trainer. So this is going uh, not as. Or is it more PR? It, it was neither of those things, really. Mm. Um, it, I suppose. Well, I suppose it was PR, really, and and I mean uh, the gym transformed overnight when he came the gym transformed overnight in terms of the number of people training there and uh, they were they were very clever for a long time because um it wasn't clear that he had left there for for, for several years it, it wasn't really clear that he'd he'd already left the gym but um he he came to be uh I, I mean, he was a fighter as well. He trained to fight. Yeah, because you were saying uh, he it did. Was, it was, sorry, it was the beginning of, I, I talked about it as well in yep. the book, about uh, it was the transition phase for him, really, uh, which I think was coincidental in as much as it, was, it, it wasn't necessarily related to the fact that he came to that gym. It was, you know, things changed in, in a big way. Because um, it's kind of near the end of his Thai fighting career. Yeah, and it's yeah. now he's going into his international, let's yeah, say, world yeah, tour. Yeah, it was the start of his international yeah. career. So he was st he was still very much, a, well, he still is now. He's still, he was a very much an active fighter. And um, so he trained at the gym as as well. And uh, he didn't work as a trainer, but he he, he would give seminars and, that, and, so, and he would give private lessons but um, he, he wasn't you know there every day working as a trainer would you get a lot of people coming to join the gym because they knew they could have a glimpse of sanchai oh, yeah. if we were able to come train for an hour yeah yeah is that the yeah that was that's and how, exactly how was his, his how was his english uh, were you able to communicate at that time i mean i i really don't know how it is now uh poor his okay. English was very poor. Um, I at that time my Thai was pretty poor as well. Uh, my daughter Rian was able to communicate. Which year was this? It was uh, two thousand and eleven. Oh, so he was still he wasn't that old. He must have been thirty one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was because yeah. he's got to be about 40, 40. Yeah. 40 now. Okay. Yeah. So thirty one. So he's yeah. still in the prime of going on his international world tour. Yeah. And yeah. you said he ended up doing what eighty eight fights or yeah. something. Yeah, that's yeah. Not not all for that gym, but no, but and and since then, I mean, I got that information from uh, mm. Wikipedia. So yeah, I saw uh, that, since yeah. then, it's probably even more. Why I I must have missed this part. Um, it must have just slipped my mind. Why did he decide to come, kind of do this PR for your gym? I mean, there's many many gyms on the island or in in Thailand. 
what specifically drew him towards you guys? Because uh, my business partner knew him. Okay. And uh, they, he, he, was, he was available. We were able to offer him what was, in fact, a ridiculously small amount of money given his... No, you explained that in the book, yeah. The Cost, and yeah. you said it was all under budget and everything worked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, he needed the money, mm. believe it or not. And maybe as well, because uh, people also need to understand, the these bigger fights in Thailand, you're still not breaking the bank. I mean, it's not like an MMA fighter where they're getting, let's say, a hundred thousand U.S. dollars. They're not yeah. getting this. They're getting maybe if the top top what three hundred thousand, and they don't even take it all. Yeah, and th- and that goes to promotions and yeah. PR and gym. They're not yeah. really taking it all home. No. So for him to go overseas, he must have uh, that that was his payday. He, he was. N- I have no idea about his financial situation yeah. now, but the one thing I can tell you, he was not well off at the time. Of course, and. Um, uh, yeah, the, he he was definitely not well off, which is, I mean, I talk about lack of investment in the sport, which, yeah. which is in, incredibly sad, uh, give, given his talent and mm. unique talent and, and what he achieved. Especially uh, his status. He's a very entertaining fighter. Yeah, if you ever watch him, he does charisma, this handstand head yeah, kick. and so great, much yeah. uh, time for everybody and... Um, you know, we did seminars at the gym, and you'd get like forty people attending, yeah. and every single one he would spar with, uh, and and I, I'd, oh, so tired, I'm so tired, and but he'd still right next one, next one, mm. yeah. and and uh, one of my last questions before we wrap it up, um, who's the winner at the end of the day financially, um, in the Muay Thai industry? I'm assuming it's not the fighter. Is it the gym? Is it the gamblers? Is it the promoters? Who's actually taking home the bag? Uh, well, it certainly isn't the fighter. That's that. And yeah. uh, it's um, well, I'm assuming the gym is profitable. I mean, other like they're they're able to operate. I I I talk. The only person in the hierarchy that's guaranteed the paycheck is is the landowner the stadium owner uh, because they are the they there's it's a fixed cost got it so when you hire the stadium it's a fixed cost and they get that that's not to say that they earn the most because probably i suppose the next one would be the gym owner stroke gambler and in most cases the gym owner will be the gambler and the promoter because this is another position as well like another part of that the, ecosystem? The, pro- the promoters take a huge risk because they, if you, you, if you put on a show and you, you have fixed costs. And right? you don't sell tickets. So if you don't sell yeah. tickets. So the, the only one who is absolutely guaranteed is the landowner. And frankly, that goes right, right the way through business in Thailand. Mm. It's the landowner's. Yeah, ultimately, that are the winners. You're ex- they're, they're, you break that down in the book, the yeah. cost to put on an event. Yeah. So whether the fighters show up, whether it doesn't matter, if you book that event, you're paying the landowner for that cost of that Stadium day. Didn't you say it's something like 180000 for the night or something? Oh, it, well, it, it will depend, and it will depend okay. on, the, on the stadium. That, that was 10 years ago at Bangla Stadium. What about I think here it was a, in Patong? 
Patong is different. It's you know the one that's in the back row. Yeah, that's different because they own that and they run the shows. And they own the land and yeah. they own the brick and mortar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that yeah. one's different. Uh, for Bangla, the promoter, so the promoter at Patong is the owners of, of the stadium. The, at Bangla, the promoter hires the stadium. Okay. And the last thing, I just want to throw it back to you before we let everyone know where they can find your books. Uh, find your book. Um, is there any piece of information, one final nugget you would like to share with anyone looking to open a gym that you know is it's it's a gem hey this is a very solid piece of information i feel you guys should know this because you're not going to find this on youtube or any type of research this is only from experience i think i think i've already covered that when in when i talked about the the outgoings okay i i, th I think um that will be my main piece of advice Think about where you are in the life cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, in my my own case, um, I'd already had my career, and I'd, I'd already done my work and made my investment for my for my retirement. Mm -hmm. And so, think about where you are in the life cycle. What 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 your life cycle plans, ongoing life plans are. Think about that, and just think very very carefully about. What, what you know, costs are going to be and how you're going to meet them. And the last, uh, not piece of it, but more about the story of your gym. What's n what, what's, uh, what does the future hold? What are the next steps? Are you doing anything interesting? Or um, do you, are you going to be part of the business for the foreseeable future? Um, if you can share some information on that. Uh, obviously, I don't want to share too much information. Yeah. On Whatever that, you feel comfortable <laughs> with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't worry. But it, but, um, it is likely that I will be taking more of a backseat in the business. But uh, and I will always be there as as uh, a shareholder and an advisor, but it is likely that I'd be taking more of a back seat. And what I'm currently doing is working on what the best way of achieving that is. Mm -hmm. So that's something that, that I'm working on. And let's, uh, the last thing, just, I guess we did three last things. Yeah, come to my head. <laughs> um, can you just paint a picture of the facility in terms of what you offer, what you have? Because I'm aware, like Mika came on and also you're, I, 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 I believe I heard you're running a yoga, like yo yoga gangst gangster or something. Is that out of your facility as well? No, no maybe not. No. Um, that what what else? Because you do you offer you have the restaurant, you have uh, accommodation, you yeah. have the so so we it it's um it's like a Muay Thai resort really in that um, we we have the gym area uh, which is at the, which is the center the center of the. La the, the site and it's also the center of the business and it always will be the center of the business. We have 16 rooms which um, now come under the status of a hotel and uh, th those rooms are of various um, standards at catering for different budgets and um, just for your information something you might be interested to know and this is the way the business is moving generally, for us anyway, is that our four um, most luxurious rooms are the ones that are constantly in demand mm -hmm. and constantly full. So um, 
be because we the, the, the people who, and this is why I wanted to point out to you earlier on about, you know, don't just think about fighters because there are a lot more people coming into the sport and enjoying the sport. And um, they're doing that fearless warrior thing. You know, they, they're professional people. They want to come and they want to train and they want to yeah. train hard, but they, they like to be comfortable. And they also don't want to get kicked in the head. Sorry? <laughs> and they don't want to yeah. get kicked in the head. <laughs> yeah. You're coming to do it's for the the wellness and the experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and and an important component of that is the nutrition aspect mm. which we've we've worked on a lot and are continuing. That's an ongoing project we're continuing to. And work. are you guys doing strength and conditioning as well? Do you offer this these other or is it strictly more Muay Thai yoga? Yeah, nutrition? it's 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 mainly Muay Thai and yoga and uh the the nutrition side of things uh, we i often marvel at gyms that have these big programs because whenever we've tried to diversify in that way mm. just a little bit of a waste of time you're actually. spreading yourself too thin yeah, yeah like do you see yourself going down the jujitsu wrestling Never. mma route Never. just keep it very focused no. yeah. yeah uh i i i i love muay thai I love the beauty of the sport. I know it. I know it sounds uh, may sound to some people. How can you say it's a beautiful sport? But it's it's a it's a very artistic mm -hmm. uh, sport to do well in it. You have to be really intelligent too. It's not just it's not just a physical. Sport. It's a chess game. Yeah, and um, so yeah, no, that, that we we will never go down. That's of MMA. Or that's good. I, I started a, actually, it's a funny story, and uh, I was going to show something, but it's okay. Um, I started, I actually did my own Muay Thai event. I must have spent, it was during COVID. I think I can share this information now. It was during COVID, during lockdowns, and I went out to Jamrock. You know that ring there at Jamrock? It's in Nyharn. It's like a ring. It's a, a ripped apart, rustic Muay Thai ring um down in between Quran and Nyharn mm -hmm. and you go down there and uh it's super reggae and whatnot so I threw an event there I worked I did I uh, worked with Eddie Farrell and Brooke because they were the ones that got me the fighters mm -hmm. I basically just financed it all mm -hmm. um to be honest I was just bored during COVID that like why we have this studio <laughs> something so have we stopped recording no no, no we're right? still going oh right yeah, yeah. okay it's the end part of that um and basically I I put on them oh there it is Maybe you can click that open. So I filmed this. We're still editing it. I called yeah. it Muay Thai and Mushrooms because we were going to do yeah. product. And this, is this the fight? We filmed it. We didn't know what we were getting into. Um, it was pretty intense. Maybe, can you pull that up? Are you on the YouTube? Okay, he's going to pull that up. So I'll explain it a bit. So we found this rustic, cool um, area to, to, to put on a fight. And I went to put on five fights. And I started at 1 p.m., and I was the, uh, we set up a, a, a table like this. We had, Eddie was doing a commentary. Um, uh, we had an announcer. We had a ring girl. We did interviews. We just filmed it all. Yeah. We're actually still editing it. We only did one release of the video. Uh, and Hans will pull that up. Yeah. Um, the guy down there, so we were, we were paying, what did I pay? I gave the fighters like 3,000 baht each. Because again, I was, I didn't charge any tickets. I yeah. wanted it as a charity and I wanted it for the content. Next thing you know, 100 people showed up. I'm like, if it's COVID, I hope nothing, the current situation, hopefully nothing happens, blah, blah, blah. We're okay. I hired a rock and roll band. Mm. So all the entrance music is like classic rock, but it's actually coming from the band in the background. Yeah. We did some cool entrances. Maybe you can fast forward a bit. 
to the first entrance. I think it's quite cool. Go to the very first entrance of the Thai, uh, maybe the Thai guy. Uh, rewind a little bit. Go back, back, back. Let's see. Back. Keep going. Right here. Yeah, that's it. So we we got the Thai music going, if you can kind of hear it. We're wa we're going around with an, uh, one of these cameras here on a gimbal. Yeah. I've set up about four cameras. Um, we had... And that music is coming. It's I not. Hear the music. That's music from. Can't uh, hear it. Oh, oh no. We can kind of. It's like that Thai. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, music. Um, we put a, a GoPro 360 on the ref's head. So yeah, actually, I can see that. Yeah. You, there's another version of this video on YouTube. You can go watch, and it's virtual reality. Yeah. So you can grab your phone and walk around the room, and it's you're on the ref's head. We we're still gonna edit. We might do it, but um, you can see Frank Hick. Frank Hickman's there. Magnus was there. Obviously, Magnus yeah. is watching. He's he can't fight these. He would murder these people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he's a professional fighter. But these guys, this was working with uh, Powerhouse at the time. Um, I guess we're hearing it come through our headset. I can hear it now. we set it up. But I'm a bit of an attention to detail freak, so I I always try to make it as best as possible. You can hear the commentary. There's the they have the mics down there. Um. What's now, funny is we messed up the commentary and we had to go meet Eddie again and re-record the first couple rounds. <laughs> and and he, we just watched it. <laughs> uh, just the audio cut out. You can see me in the left corner. And it, it was just... They had a great time. This is February 2021. So they haven't fought in a year. And everyone was going, like, ballistic. It was, it was the first, I think, event in about a year. Yeah. Anyways, well, we'll cut it off there because it takes a bit. This Thai guy does a cheeky, cheeky leg kick yeah. to start it off. They touch and he just hits them. <laughs> um, too anxious. Yeah, too anxious. Okay, so we'll and we did some mushroom stuff there. It's it's all uh, health stuff. So uh, I guess we'll cut over to me. Um, this is fighting for uh, success by Dr. Lynn Miller. Um, I got to get this back to Mika. Uh, I highly suggest the audible, audio, audible book, especially if you're on the motorbike or you're in the gym. It's very easy to di digest. This is a very, I found it's a very easy listen. It's an easy read. Um, and the information is extremely valuable. There's a lot more hidden gems behind the scene, I think, that we didn't touch upon. Mm -hmm. And it goes much more in de into detail. So we'll cut back to you. And if you can just give us some, oh, if you want to hold no, your One book. last thing. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, the one last thing is if you can plug yourself um, where people can find you on the island, where they can buy the book, and also uh, a little bit of information, uh, particularly about the gym and if they're looking to come to uh, a Muay Thai camp. Okay, so, uh, so this is the book. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, we also have copies of... Uh, this at, camera, yeah. Uh, yeah, we also have copies at Somali. Uh, so you could drop it any time and you could pick up a copy there. Uh, as uh, Brendan said, the audiobook's recently been released. And, um, yeah, so uh, we're in Phuket. We're on the east coast of Phuket, right in the middle of the island. So if you ever want to come and try some boxing or yoga or s eat some delicious ve vegan food, then you're very welcome. Please come and see us. Perfect. Okay, thanks a lot, Lynn. Much uh, thank appreciated. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for having me on. I it really enjoyed the discussion. And, uh, yeah, it's been challenging. And uh, give me... Uh, Hopefully it didn't put, yeah. you, <laughs> put you through the ringer. I'm exhausted. Yeah, no, it's, it's tiring. That's why I'm, I need to film one tomorrow because I take off to Bangkok and... Uh, my girlfriend's like, just film two in a day. I said, are you? Yeah, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah, it's tiring. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, like, subscribe, smash all that stuff, and enjoy. Bye.
See you later. Bye.